fact, I have in my files a testimony of a life prisoner and what he said in this thing that blew me right out of the water. He said, I may never get out of this prison, but I've never been more free than I am now. Working as a prison chaplain for 15 years with our nation's most brutal criminals takes a special individual. Whether playing college football, touring as a singer, fighting fires, or preaching the gospel, Pastor Rick has experienced a lot. And learn what habits and tools we need to develop in order to fill our hearts with genuine contentment on this episode of A Tale to Tell. Today I have Rick Williams, pastor at Faith Community Church here in Durango, Colorado, out on the Mesa. Hello, Rick. Hi. How are you? I am great. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for being here. I am glad to be here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. It's a good time. It is. We're going to cover a lot of territory. You are definitely not the uh, typical pastor, in my opinion. No. And before we get going, I don't want you to be nervous, even though this is going to be heard by millions of people. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe dozens. Okay. We'll, we'll see. I'm trying to we'll be see. nervous. Yeah. Shaking yeah. <laughs> you know, I, th I think you have a, a very interesting story that needs to be told. So... Let's go back in time to when you were a kid. That's a long way back. That's a long way back, brother. It is. Um, may I ask, are you 60? 62. 62, okay. Good guess, huh? Yeah. So let's go back in time. Back, You grew up in Virginia, is that right? Started to. I was born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia. But as a, um, my dad was a contractor, and during that time, economy was bad. I had an uncle that was a pastor... Uh, in Maryland, uh, and was just wooing my mom and dad to move to the Maryland area, D.C. area, because the work was plentiful. I think I started the second grade in Maryland back in the day. Okay. Yes. I have a younger brother, uh, two years younger than me, that we, we were told we were called the Joy Boys. What one didn't think, the other <laughs> did. So we had, a, we had a good time. Lots of mischief. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, we were. Good times, though. Yeah. Yeah. You were an athlete, I understand. Yep. And yes, what what sports did you like? I liked most sports. Uh, I tried just about all I could play, uh, but my body began to go a different direction than maybe some of the things I was thinking about. I got big, uh, quick as a young guy. And so wrestling and football became my thrust, and uh, I actually enjoyed the wrestling side, mainly for the reason that it kept me in good shape for football, because I love football. Yeah. And that became where I really wanted to, that's what I wanted to play and focus on. I even did the track scene in my high school days. Now, I'm assuming you weren't a sprinter, although you were pretty fast. Yeah, you were very fast, but you were, I'm going to assume you threw the shot so, and discus. Yes. Yeah. I did well. I'll bet you Placed did. fourth in the state for high school. And by the way, guys, Rick is a big man. Yes. What are you, 6'1", 6'2"? So, were you, did you grow up with, with a lot of faith and with a lot of, was that in your home and was that something that was present a lot? It was. In fact, uh, we were raised in a Christian home. Uh, my grandfather was a, a pastor and uh, with that, ended up my uncle, I think I mentioned that he was in D.C., he was actually a pastor uh, just at, around the D.C. area. 
and uh, became the district superintendent for the Wesleyan Church that was uh, there uh, in that area. And uh, so we were raised there. In fact, grew up in that church. And then uh, when we moved, my dad built a home in a, a place called Fulton, Maryland, which was near Columbia, Maryland, which is the, the bigger city there. And uh, so the distance between there and where that church was. In fact, my uncle was full-time district superintendent, so he wasn't even pastoring that church anymore. We started uh, attending a Nazarene church in Nolicut City, Maryland, and that's where we stayed, and uh, that's what we are today. Okay. Still in the Nazarene church. Okay. So I want to go back in time about your your football days. You ended up graduating high school. Yes. And did you have a scholarship? I did. And to... Towson State. Towson State. Yes. That's where my wife went to college. Really? Yeah. She wow. attended Towson State after she went to Lock Raven High School in Baltimore. Whoa. So, small rival. world. That high was your rival? High school rival. No, full Lock on. Raven. I'll be darned. The only time I remember this, this is a rabbit trail. We beat them my senior year, 22-21. Oh, my goodness. And it was a game. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. So, <laughs> Wow. So, you get a scholarship to play football. At a D1 double A school, mm -hmm. and what what position? I was a linebacker, interior. Sometimes so you're an, was down on the ground. So you're an interior linebacker, and you you are you weighed what? Two seventy. Two seventy, which mm -hmm. there were probably very few linebackers in the country that weighed that. I would assume that's a big linebacker. I was big, like I said, for my age. If I'm for my whole thing, my whole life, I was big, just a big guy. And it just got bigger. And when I got involved in the weightlifting, I got even bigger. Yeah. And it just got crazy. You're probably strong as an ox. I thought so. But and you know what? There's always someone out there that's going to be... Oh, yeah. Somebody's always <laughs> faster, stronger, yes, bigger. That's exactly right. And I hear you were pretty fast for a big man. Okay. I ran a 4840 at Goodness. 270. Goodness gracious. Well, i got to tell you this. Okay. This humbled me because I thought, well, that's pretty good. But I had a 305-pound um, lineman that beat me. No kidding. No, it was it was crazy. And I don't know how he did it. I still, to this day, don't know how he did it. Wow. I can't imagine getting hit by you coming through that line <laughs> and tackling. Mm. You know, there's always that guy. And in fact, there was a young fellow at the time that came in. Uh, I was senior, I think. But his name was David Meggett. He played for the Giants. I lost many of, what do you call them, the jock straps back in the day. <laughs> he burned you. <sighs> Big time. Fast as lightning. That was just like, was he a tailback, fullback? Tailback. Tailback. Oh, yeah. He was fast. He, he broke your ankles. <laughs> so we could certainly stay on football. Did you go, all, go there all four years? No. Okay. No. I... What I did is I got a scholarship to play, and then I, as I went through the years, um, I guess it was my, ju my junior year. Actually, I was there four years, but I, didn't, I wasn't a, I went the long way to get my degree. You know, I did a four-year degree in six years. So that happens. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. Because I got, and, and so my. Do you party a little too much? Not so much that is that I just, I didn't have a desire. Mm-hmm. For all the schoolwork. And what was your degree? Uh, it was in business administration. Yeah. Then I had to go back because when, and this is a jump over time, 
But when God called me out of the work I was doing, I had to go back to school and work on another degree that ended up becoming my Bachelor in Biblical Studies. Okay. And then seminary to go with that. So, yay. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, let's keep moving down the road. I'm, I'm uh, okay. sitting here in your office. I see a trumpet. Yes. I see a, a fire helmet. I, let's talk a little bit about trumpet. Did you grow up playing trumpet? I did. Okay. So you're a musician. Yes. And you still play. I still play. It's, it's sitting uh, right there next to your desk. Yes, that's uh, for me, you know, because I don't, I don't have. There's no, there's no group for me to be involved with. So you know, outside of playing in the church, uh, it's something I use to. This may sound a little different, but I pray through that. I can shut my eyes and play these songs and whatever, and it just, it helps as I do my meditating through the Word through prayer and music. I can certainly relate to that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yep. Our family sang. We were we traveled as a family. Um, it was uh, probably 10 years, a hard thing to do, okay, when you're, you're a self-employed contractor, like my dad was, and then to do all this traveling, that was, those were days. So your whole family traveled? Yes. As a singing family? Yes. Praise family, praise yes. music, rather. Yes. And did you travel all around the East Coast? We or did. We, really? were, we were in every, every state but Maine. I've been in every state but Maine. And you did that for 10 years? Yes, sir. We At did. what age did you start doing that? Uh, 17. Uh, and then into my married life, because my wife then came. My Both of my brothers got married, and their wives were part of our group. Praise the Lord, they all could sing. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it actually helped. Yeah. With that, and we had a really good group, and we had a young fellow that was uh, part of our church there in Maryland. That uh, he worked for Goddard Space Flight, so he's a very intelligent guy, but he knew he was really talented with sound, and so he came and he was the sound tech, and he made us sound better than we were. Fantastic! And I've never heard you sing. I've yeah. been to your church, wonderful church here on the Mesa. Do you ever get up and sing with you? Great. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have. Yeah, I want to hear that. Just a couple of weeks ago. Excellent. That's fun. So tell me a little bit about the fire helmet. I didn't. I didn't realize you were ever a fireman. What well, was this after you got out of college? Yes, uh, I had been married probably five years, but I started in the volunteer scene. You know, thing to do. Small community, rural there in in Maryland. So the volunteer side is where I got my start and. You know, I started to enjoy the job. Now, I was still working with my dad, but in the wintertime, things slowed down. So I was looking for another income to help support the wintertime. And uh, through the fire, the volunteer, as if, if you get a name, sorry, this way it goes, uh, they'll actually look at you, you fill an application, you test, go do all these things, and they hire first from their volunteer pool. And I, I, I got hired. So I actually spent 10 years in the fire department before God called me out and said it's time to answer a call to full-time ministry, which That's I resisted for a while, just so you know. Now, what do you mean by that, that he called you out full-time well, ministry? I was happy with my job as a firefighter, and I was working with my dad. To me, I, my wife was home with our kids. You know, we had a really good income. So there was no need for her to work outside the home, but she worked really hard inside the home. And I think you know that. You have kids too. Uh, wives just work hard. 
They certainly do. And I think they're they're the unsung heroes, in my opinion. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job that's 365 days. And uh, so I love my wife. She's she's the, you know, they, they look at guys, especially the big guys, say strong. That's the strong in our family right there. She holds everything together. And uh, 40 years. Hmm. Been married 40 years. Can't believe so, she's put up with you that long. I know. Bless her heart. <laughs> she's a saint. I'm telling you. It's, it's good that way. But with that being said, uh, working, I got hired with the fire department and uh, great job. You know, and when I was talking about being called out is that, you know, as I was going to church, I was teaching Sunday school, you know, and uh, actually began to work with youth. And they had me as an, what, what you call an unpaid staff pastor. And, boy, I tell you what, when God begins to work in you, okay, and this is another different lesson later on. But it's the, it's the stronghold when he has a purpose and a plan for your life. You can try all these things, you can do all these things, but there's still something that's missing. And if you are in a job or a career that you are in love with, that you go to work and you come home and you're not tired, but going to work, the passion actually begins to, I guess it drives you on in that sense, okay? That's what was happening to me, and I, I knew, I, I'm not saying it was God's audible voice, but I could hear in my spirit what I was supposed to be doing, and I was like, hmm. Resisting? Because, yeah. I had a pastor granddad and a pastor uncle, and I'm just going to be blunt, all right? I'm not a shy Please guy, do. so I'm going to tell Please you the way do. it is, all right? Some of the Christian people are mean. Mm-hmm. Some churches, they're mean. Yeah, and I saw how they treated my my granddad. I saw how they treated my uncle, and I didn't want to be that. I even said to my mom and my dad early on in my life, I wouldn't be a pastor. You couldn't pay me to be a pastor because Christian people are mean. That was the wrong look, and what I mean by that is that my eyes was not. I didn't have my eyes on God. I was looking at people, and people are broken. That's what happened. We're just broken. And even as Christians, I didn't know this either. I had to learn this. There's levels of growth. It's like take your babies when they're born. You bring that baby home from the hospital. You don't stand on his feet, smack it on the butt and say, walk. It takes time. There's a growth process that takes place. There's the being carried around to there's crawling till there's standing up holding things to a couple of steps and fall down, but they're good at it too. They learn how to fall the right way. It's a process. Being a born-again believer as a newborn, it's a process of growing up. We have habits. Don, we have habits. We have, I don't know, traditions. We have the world that we've been living in, and all of a sudden now we have this cataclysmic wreck with spiritual and worldly. And my mind is different. Our minds go, what in the world, okay? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? And there's a, there's growth. That's why Jesus said, go make disciples. He didn't go, he didn't say go make converts, okay? My responsibility as a believer and a follower of Christ is to make disciples. I'm a teacher, okay? I preach, 
But I like to teach people. I, that's what discipleship is all about. And that's what got me. My youth pastor at the Nazarene Church in Ellicott City, Maryland, his name was Bill Nielsen. He just retired out of Albuquerque. He was a teacher, and he mentored, and he taught what discipleship meant. He taught what it meant to follow Christ. He taught what it meant to fix your eyes on Christ and not on the world. The world's going to let you down. People are going to let you down. Mm -hmm. But he taught this, and that's how God began to work in me, because the more I fixed my eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12.2, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, not a man, not a pastor, not the Sunday school teachers. They're good. They're, they're needed for what they are, but it's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that woos. Rick, I want to ask you about your prison ministry because I understand you did that for many years, years, 15 years. Yes. Tell us about how you got into that and why you got into it and why you stayed doing it so long and what it meant to you. I've always been the kind of guy that loves to help people. You can't be a firefighter and not want to help people. Okay, that, that I was working in the fire department because I, I didn't go all the way through that. I get paid to do what I loved to do, help people. Whenever the 911 call goes out, somebody's in need, and it just charged you. Well, God, when he called me out of that, I mean, it was a brokenhearted mindset that I'm doing what I love, but what I realized that God was calling me to, into his ministry to help people where they really are. I can both minister both the physical now and the spiritual, and that's what was cool. So, to take that forward, I was pastoring a church in Canyon City, Colorado, and uh, met a guy. Uh, his name was Jack Godin. Good friend. He's a tall Texan. This guy's like 6'7". Okay. And uh, he was a chaplain for uh, Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. And he was assigned to Colorado's, uh, the State Penitentiary, CSP, there in Canyon City. Anyway, we met. I, I actually think he called because they were, they were looking for a church that they could meet at with the other chaplains, and, and they had prayer once a week. And I, sure. And I had 10 chaplains end up that showed up at the church, and they would meet there at 6.30 in the morning, so I started going with them just to hang out and pray with them and, and uh, listen to their stories. And the more that they talked, my first thought was, you know what, I can be a volunteer with these guys. So that's how it started out. I, I, I actually get, got hooked up with Jack and, and was doing volunteer work. And over a period of time, God was saying, I want you here. And I'm going, but leave the church? I mean, you, well, I'm not actually leaving the church. I, I, I was no longer a full-time pastor in a church setting, but I became a chaplain, which was pastoring inside a prison. And long story with, short with that, in 2003... Uh, I went to school with Good News Jail and Prison Ministry on how to chaplain in prison. And then I had to go through Colorado State's academy, the DOC Academy, class 307. That's when I graduated, class 307. <laughs> okay. And uh, I was also the class spokesperson. Couldn't figure that out because I wasn't actually, you know, a correctional officer, which normally that's what they do. But they figured, well, you're a pastor. You can talk. You be the one. So that was me. 
Uh, I got to do all that. And it was great, okay? And I spent 15 years in different facilities, different levels, okay? But what, what I really, I fell in love with this. Because in prison, I mean, you've just walked into a place. I'm going to just put it this way. That's the devil's playground, okay? What do you have in prison but people that have been convicted of soft to heavy-duty crimes, okay? And what drew me to that was Jesus said, when I was in prison, you visited me. And even those that were around him were saying, when were you in prison? When you've done it to the least of one of these, you have done this to me, okay? And as I was learning this ministry and being involved in that chaplain program, you know, through Good News Yellow Prison Ministry, because Colorado doesn't pay their chaplains anymore. They got rid of that program. Funny thing, this is a little digression, but in 1878, I think it was, when Territorial Prison in Canyon City became a Colorado State Prison, they hired two people right from the gate. The warden and the chaplain. Nobody else. Okay? But in their great wisdom, they figured chaplains weren't necessary anymore. But they were disposable, huh? They were disposable. Okay? They can pay other people to do. And you know what? In reality, it was the best thing. Because no longer was the state telling a chaplain what he could do, what he could talk about, and how he could function. But rather, they hired an independent company, like Good News, Jail and Prison Ministry. And they called us unpaid staff that we... We had to follow the same rules and regulations that a correctional officer would do, but we got to go in and minister the gospel. They didn't want us to proselytize, i.e. say that Christianity is the only way to go, but if we were asked, we could tell the story. But we had to help also facilitate every other faith, and that's where I got an education in religion. I did not know that there were 33,000 religions in this world that we live in. 33,000. 33,000. And in Colorado alone, they recognize 2,300. I don't know what they all are. I can give you a long list of some. Wow. But it just blew me away. And it shows you that man is hungry. Man realizes there's an emptiness inside. They need, they, there's a, they want a, something needs to be filled. And so they've even made things up to try to fill a spot, but it doesn't fill a spot. So 15 years, I've saw, I saw God change lives, set guys free. In fact, I have in my files a testimony of a life prisoner, a lifer. It was a murdered situation. He's in there for life. I have a 15-page testimony of what God had done to this guy. And what he said in this thing that blew me right out of the water, he said, I may never get out of this prison, but I've never been more free than I am now. That's what I fell in love with. Oh, that's powerful. And you helped him see the light. One of us. We were part of a team. Sure. Yes. Sure. And we helped grow that. We were disciplers as well, because these guys come to Bible studies. Don, I could tell you a lot of things. It just the, the, the prison didn't know what to do with us. You can't have more than five or six guys in a group, but it, with the worship service, you know, they wanted to keep it at 10%. Well, what happens when you have 170 guys in a 500-facility prison that want to go to church? What do you do with that? Okay, so we had multiple services going on because they couldn't let us all gather, except one time they did because I was 
back and forth to two different prisons, the Skyline Minimum and Four Mile Correctional, which was a medium. So we had to transport the guys from Skyline down to Four Mile because there's a fence around that one. But before that had, had to happen, all the logistics had to take place. They had to do background checks, make sure there weren't any gang stuff. There were guys that were mad at each other. It was a big deal. And we had 170 guys in a visiting room that, and, and 12 officers that had to come. They didn't like that. Yeah. I baptized 65 guys that night. Wow. I had a, I had a sore back that night, too, by the way. <laughs> yes, sir. It was amazing. Wow. Well, good for you. That takes a... I can only imagine how special of a person it takes to do that kind of kind of work. And it sounds like you said you didn't get paid for that work? We were missionary chaplains, so we had to raise our own support. That's correct. And so we would... We so would, how'd you survive on... Did you have another job? Or my how wife did, was working. Okay. And uh, again, as a missionary chaplain, you're, you're actually trying to build a support base, getting people to help support the ministry. So we would have fundraisers. What I mean by that is we had golf games. They, for some reason, they thought golf was a good way to do it. We would have dinners, and they would go to visit churches and t talk to their missionary boards and so forth. And it was a job, okay? But it was what was required to do that we could stay there. Yes. Mm. Rick, there's just so many things I'd like to ask you, and I know we don't have a, a ton of time, but here we are upon the Christmas season, and... I know I'm guilty of this, and I think a lot of other people might be as well, but we tend to forget what it's all about. Um, I believe it's called Christmas because it's celebrating Christ's Mass, and uh, we tend to forget you know, baby Jesus coming into this world and this miracle and being born of the Virgin Mary, and I think a lot of times a lot of people become what they call CEOs, and they, they just go to church, you know, Christmas and Easter. And, or sometimes, you know, and the people that go to church on Sunday and, and that's wonderful, but then the rest of the week, right. maybe nothing else is going on and that they think that's enough. Um, with it being Christmas, what are some, what are some things that you think we could all maybe remember and pay attention to, not just this week, but year round? Well... You just touched on uh, an area that has been a, a real concern of mine because the idea of going to, to church on a Christmas or going to church on an Easter, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. Mother's Day is actually the most attended church day in the year. Really? Not, not Christmas and Easter. Got to go to church with mom. <laughs> sure. Get okay. in big trouble. But with with that... I think it I think it boils down to where people know that there's a God. They may not call him God. They may call him a higher power. They may call him something. But I believe that people realize and know that deep in their heart there is a God. And the thing about Christmas that draws people is it seems like the problems in the world stop for just a little bit of time and we're nice to one another especially one day which I'm concerned about because families argue so much today it's hard to it, it, I wonder about that day but people give gifts okay and you see a, a life for just a period of time there's a, it, this 
the whole thing's just stopped. That's garbage. And you actually see some humanity, some realism. The sad thing is that even in the body of Christ, what we call Christians, they go back to work the next day or they go back into life the next day because Christians, they may be born again, but they still live in the same world that we all live in. We all live in this world together and their struggles. And well, by the way, you know, the issues in the world affect the Christian as well. And so at times, you'll hear people call Christians hypocrites because they do this or they do that. Typical for the world, because they can't see past what's going on in the life of a believer. And sometimes believers get lost in the reality that I believe in God, I know I'm saved, but I'm under it all. And I don't know how to get out. And it has an effect. Okay, I, I look at what you do as you're living. Okay, some of the things we were talking about a little earlier about how there were funny thing, you use the word so, it may be sleep, eat, and work out, but the Bible tells us as a man, what a man sows, so shall he reap. Well, the sowing process is important. Okay, just to do this for this working out. And I wish I was as fit as you. I look at you in this nice fit body, and I'm going like, man, I'm this big guy. And we're going to get you there. I know. I appreciate that. But it takes work. Okay, well, so does a relationship with God. It's not just Christmas. It's not just Easter. And I want people to realize at Christmas time, there's a, there is a reason. You know, the cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, yes, he is. But that baby that was born on Christmas Day is not a baby today. Okay, Jesus lived his life and he gave his life. All right, that's the simple gospel message. He came to live to point people to God. He came to set people free, to be out from under the pressures, okay? Paul made the statement that I have lived in plenty, I have lived in one. And what I've realized that I have learned to live contently in whatever circumstance that I'm in. Now, that's the Reader's Digest version of that, what he said. But he learned, I'm going to say the secret that shouldn't be a secret that our reliance and how we live our lives is not about anything we do to produce. It's about what God did. And we can rest in that. God's gift to us, Don, was free. It didn't cost anything. And that's what Jesus did. He's not here in the physical today, but his spirit is here. And we can live lives that are free and out from under pressures. The stress level goes down and we can be happy. That's where we are today. So... You know, speaking, sorry to interrupt That's you. That's okay. I think a lot of times people think, oh, you know, I, I have too many flaws. I have, to, I have too much going on. And as I've heard someone say before, you know, every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Yes. Um, That's a good speaking phrase. Speaking of Paul, by the way, yeah. he originally was someone known as Saul, correct? Yes, yes he was. Who was a, wasn't he a Roman soldier? Well, or he, he was a Roman citizen Roman. and he was also a Jew. And okay, he was—he was a persecutor. He committed unspeakable atrocities, yes, right, did. and killed many, yes. many a man. Yes. And so I know I've said to people, and I'm certainly not a pastor, is that if he can be saved, then anybody could be saved. And so, could you speak a little bit on for some of these people that feel like maybe they've done, whether they've done unspeakable things or think they things that they believe are to be. Uh, unforgiven. Can you speak a little bit about that? 
I ran into that. Maybe I should say I, I, I had to deal with this question a lot in the prison system. Okay. People that might listen to this, people that may be in the world, they may think that they've done things that God cannot forgive. I'm going to tell you something. I have not only experienced that forgiveness in my life, and I know how I live my life. The phrase that you said uh, about every saint that has a past, well, I have a past, okay? But I watched God take some vile people, and I'm going to leave the guy's name off, but this guy was a three-life sentenced guy. 200 and some years. He's going to die in prison. Murdered 25 people that they know of. It was murders, it was rapes, it was, this guy was brutal, okay? He was one of the baddest, if you can, if that's a word I can use, guys in prison. And we had conversations with him. He was not, uh, it'd be a long story to tell you about all the things. that he, he had the correctional officers afraid of him. He had guys across the, the hallway he was behind a sliding steel door, okay? Not bars, little window, okay? But he had guys across the way do things that were not good that he could watch because of the fear that he had instilled. There was one time he blew that door right off the, the hinges. Unbelievable what this guy was capable of. So it almost reminds me, sorry to interrupt you, almost reminds me of like Hannibal Lecter or something in Silence of the Lambs. Very similar. Wow. It was the mind game. For 25 years, he was an untouchable fear. And he went to prison. I'm sorry, he went back to a state back east, because if I give too much, somebody might hear, might know who he is, to go to court on another murder. Happened years and years ago, okay? But his mother had died. So he was dwelling on being in prison, and mom had died, and he's sitting in court, because he would tell you this, and for the very first time, he was on, let me back up say he was on trial for a murder of a 16-year-old kid, but for the very first time, he saw in that boy's mother's eyes pain that he had never even cared about, never seen, never cared about before. It's funny how God works, okay? But God used the death of his mother as the chink in this guy's armor. Didn't happen overnight. But me and my chaplain buddy that I mentioned earlier, we visited this guy and shared the gospel time, time, to where he called one day and said, I got to know more. Now, he got saved. He asked God to forgive him. I heard him do it. He made the statement that he knew he was a sinner headed to hell, did not deserve anything. But God, if you really did what you said, I need that. And this was in his cell, and there was just a little crack in the door, and all we could do to be able to pray with him was touch fingertips. That was it. Now, how do you know he got saved? Because people ask, how do you know? Well, in the prison system, they have this uh, demerit system. It's called CRONS. 
if an inmate does something wrong, breaks the rules, he gets croned, okay? And this guy had books of crons. And he went from multiple crons a day to zero. They caught him reading a Bible. Good thing, okay? That was the measuring stick. Well, he ultimately died. And I'm telling you, as the thief on the cross with Jesus, that guy and everything that he's done, and I'm telling you, Don, it was horrible. I won't tell all. This guy did horrible things. There's nobody that in this world walking around as a free person has done what this guy has done, okay? He's in heaven today because God's faithful to his word. It's not us. It's God's faithfulness to us. And that's what did it. So for that person that thinks that they've done that, nah. Yeah. Uh-uh. Mm. God loves us all. And it didn't matter. He sent Jesus anyway. He's that refuge, that safety, that strength. Um, he is. Man. There's a song out there. I don't remember who wrote it and who, who sang it. And there's probably been a few that have done it. But it, it essentially says you won't see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right. Right. And none of us obviously get out of here alive. Nope. And... We both know it's extremely important what we do here on earth, but we all, myself included, we, we tend to have these false idols, right? Which might be our music. A music, music can be a wonderful thing. Could be. But do we put it above God? Mm -hmm. Has it you become know? God? Fitness, you know? It's what I do and I enjoy it, but is it more important? Am I putting it above God? Am I putting money above God, am I putting, and the list could go on and on and on, and so it isn't that those things aren't important, right? Right. I mean, you have a motorcycle. I do. You know? I'm a Harley fan, bro. You ride a Harley and See, love it, hat. and, but, yeah, but you know as good as that feels, right, that yes. that can't be at the top of the totem pole. No. That's got to be it's somewhere God's down life. below. Everything yeah. I have belongs to him. Mm-hmm. So you said something earlier, we, we were both talking about this, about the Christmas and Easter thing and even Sunday, and I, I, I kind of relate this a little bit to, to fitness, is that, you know, you're not going to see much of any change if it's once a week. Mm -hmm. Try to do a little bit of something every day. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, because I don't go to church every Sunday, one thing I do try to do is... Uh, a daily devotion, uh, it's, it's one that I like, and I've, I'll do the physical version. It's called Jesus Calling from Sarah Young, and it really speaks to me. It's really short. Um, I'm, I tend to be not real good at opening up the Bible, but it just has some really great, powerful messages. And as my mom used to say, it'll really you know, recharge your battery um, as we're going to church, though. Um, but I, I think, and, and speak on this about you know, it doesn't need to be an hour a day, right? It doesn't, yeah. and, and I think, I tell people, even if it's just, you know, I'd rather you jumped rope for a minute a day than, you know, seven minutes once a week. Can you speak a little bit about that, about how we can try to incorporate prayer and devotion and just thoughtfulness and, and, and purpose um, maybe every day? Our society has taught us to be doers. Our society is based on production. And we live in a microwave society today. 
That's what I call it because everything's instant gratification. But also, uh, we've gotten away from what it means to be relational. Just look at our homes, okay? I don't want to bore you with statistics, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Even the Department of Justice will give you statistics about the failure of a home. And I'm not going to tell you this because then it would solidify that, folks, we need, we, we need a change in our families. The family's been under attack forever. It stems from that. Everything that's been going on, I, I truly believe the failure in society, if people want to look at society and see where it was and where it is today and, and think that it's okay to have an increase in murders, an increase in rapes, an increase in whatever, or how about just an increase in separation, okay? And think this is good? It's not. I've watched this when we when we were eating in restaurants before this pandemic hit and watched tables and these phones that everybody has out and they're not talking to one another anymore, okay? How about family dinners? We don't eat together anymore as families. Uh, this might sound crazy, but I have a rule in my home. We have a place that all the phones go, bloop, when we're sitting down to eat dinner. So we can at least look each other in the eyeball. Absolutely. Okay. Our place too. Yes. So to bring that into this with, with uh, church. Now, I'm a proponent of being in church. Not in the dutiful sense. Not in the production side. But in the relational building side. Both with the Lord and with the body of Christ. Hebrews 10 25 and 26 tells us that we're not to, to forsake the gathering together of like-minded believers, as so many are in the habit of doing. Going, I can find God anywhere. Sure you can. I can go up to the mountains and I can, I'm in the presence of God. I get that. But that same God is telling us to gather together, and there's a purpose for that. It's in relation. It's in encouragement. Because the Hebrew writer goes on to say, and all the more, keep gathering, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The end of time. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when, and I'm not about to say I know when, but if you look at society, look at the world we're in, look, read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Daniel. Okay, we're going to see some similarities of like, the end is near. Now, I don't want to create this fear. I don't live in fear. I'm going to keep doing all I'm doing, and if Jesus shows up, Yahoo. Okay, but the point of that is that we're supposed to gather, gather together because, you know, Don, you may have had a struggle this week and had victory, and I'm in that struggle right now, and I'm not in victory. You could help me. The whole purpose is that we get together. It's not to come listen and get some guy preach. Okay, there is going to be preaching here, and by the way, I don't use books. I'm not a topical guy. I'm an exege exegesis guy. I will take the word, and that's what we're going to preach. That's what we're going to teach. Because that's what God gave us. I'm not saying books are bad. I got it. Okay, there's books. But that's what I'm going to preach out of. But it's that and more. Okay? So, if we were to do that and develop a relationship with God, let me take you to a story. It's in Joshua. It's where Joshua and the Israelites were in war. And they were winning, but they needed more time. And the sun was moving. And Joshua asked the Lord to hold the sun still for a day. For 24 hours, 
the sun stopped. Now, we had talked before we were recording this about science. And I was telling you that science actually proves God. NASA has proved that there was a phenomenon somewhere in the world's whatever that we got off in time. You know how we fix that? Sleep year. We have an extra day so that the time clock and this whatever gets back on time because they proved that something happened. They won't tell you what it is, but I'll bet you if they dug deep, but there you go. Days got off. The world didn't move. But what I'm getting at with that story, how in the world did this guy named Joshua have the gall, the guts, to ask God to hold a day still? Relationship. He had spent his life, because he didn't start leading the Israelites until he was 85 years old, okay? He had built a relationship, both in discipleship with Moses and his relationship with God, that he knew who he was asking. And he had the relationship to know that God would do what needed to be done. We don't have that today, Don. Even church, even pastors don't have that kind of relationship because time constraints, whatever that means, gets in the way. But it's important that we get back to the roots, the grassroots of what it means to, to build a relationship both with God and with our families and with our neighbors. Yeah, I mean, if I'm raised in a family where we're not eating together and all I'm doing is the majority of the time spending it looking at TV screens, looking at my phone, not having conversation with my siblings, my mom or dad. When I get out into the world, how am I going to communicate and have those relationships? I want to be know how, right? We don't know how. And then we wonder um, why depression and suicide and all these things, and especially this year. Mm -hmm. um, we, could, we could stay on that for a long time. I want to come back to you talking about science and, and God and how they're, they really mesh together. It's, I found it really interesting. I did a little bit of research, and there's, there's really three big questions. Uh, and, and some of the top scientists believe in God. They do. A lot of people don't realize that, mm -hmm. but don't take my word for it. Do your own research. research. Amen. There's three big, really big questions they can't explain. One, where did matter come from? Two, what is consciousness? And three, what makes us human? We could spend a long time on each of those questions, I'm sure, but I find that, find that really interesting. I think we've covered some wonderful stuff. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and, and, and telling your story. And I think it's a, a wonderful one. People will find it very interesting. I, I want to remind those that you know, your church, Faith Community Church, here in Durango, if people don't feel comfortable coming, you know, in person, that you guys, you can get online. Yes, we are, we do uh, it. We are live fed. It's uh, www.durangofaithcommunitychurch.org. And you guys have built from just a couple dozen people watching oh, it's to crazy. up to 800 yes. people now. Yes, So. That was our November high. So if somebody wants to just sit and eat their Wheaties and... <laughs> be in their pajamas on, on Sunday right. morning. Then, I, I, I hey, think we have some people that right? are doing that right now. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter really what calls us as long as we get fed, yeah, right? Right. Um, and 
let me let me plug this, okay? Because first of all, I'm going to say, sure, our church, because everybody likes to say this is where I go to church if if they go, and you know we want you here because we do. We're a church of an open door, all right. We're we're part of the the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination, but uh, and my district superintendent knows this. I'm the most non-denominational denominational guy that there is. I learned this in prison, okay, as a chaplain, all right? My mission on this earth is to be a, a discipler of the Lord Jesus Christ. And truth be told, now I hope my board didn't hear this, it doesn't matter if they come to this church or not. But what I do say is find a church that teaches and preaches the Word of God. Not fluffing stuff, not some guy's opinion, go find a church that preaches out of the Bible. Because that's what we need. We need God's word. Okay, we don't need this other stuff. And then more importantly, and you'll, you've been here before, you've probably heard me say this, don't take my word for whatever you hear me preach. Read. Mm -hmm. Read God's word and let God speak to you. Okay? Because I don't believe that there's any man out there that has all the answers. I don't believe that. But I do know who does. Mm -hmm. And his name is God. <laughs> and I can research, I can pray, and God gives answers. And then I say, well, I challenge you. Then you read your Bible. And if I'm wrong, tell me. And I appreciate that. And one of the things I love about listening to you is that you're just so real. Thank you. And down to earth and incredibly well-spoken and very educated on the word. And just you make people feel really comfortable. Uh, amen. And, so uh, did Jesus. You know? And, and I, I think we like need him. to remind, yeah. I think we need to remind people that uh, Jesus wasn't a Christian, no, right? Actually, so, not. <laughs> right? And so, you know, um, people get wrapped up in their particular church, so right. to speak. Right. And they put that ahead yes. of him and what he preached and what the disciples preached. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, just thanks again. I think you're doing wonderful things for the community. For people one-on-one, -on -one. I appreciate it. And just God bless you and your family. You too. And Merry Christmas. And yeah. to your listeners as well, Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And again, I'm your host, Don Roberts, and this is a Tale to Tell podcast. Be well and Merry Christmas. This podcast is brought to you by the popular books, Wellness Toolbox 1 and 2. These books are available on Amazon as well as at local Durango, Colorado merchants. Purchase your copies today.